This is the Women Emerging Expedition Podcast, so you can follow the ups and downs and the roundabouts of the expedition and play your part in them. 24 women started on the 28th of May 2022 on this virtual expedition that will take nine months. We are women from across the world determined to find an approach to leadership that resonates with women. We'll be successful so that women the world over will be able to say, if that's leadership, I'm in. Welcome, 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 welcome. Julian Middleton here, expedition leader. It is 2023. Welcome to the 2023 expedition podcasts. This is the first one in January and it's part, well, put it this way, the 24 members on the expedition, a couple of months ago, I said to them, go and talk to lots of young women, young women leaders, young enough so they're younger than our youngest member of the expedition who's 24, so under 24, and make sure that by the time we get to Bellagio in February 2023, their voices, all those young women leader voices, are ringing in our heads so that we have a greater chance of producing an approach to leadership that resonates with women and particularly with young women. The experience was extraordinary. The Lots of different things came out. Very strong sense that this is a different generation and that um, if, if the approach to leadership is going to resonate with women, it's got to work really, really hard. And in fact, never mind resonating, if it's not going to be rejected by young women, it has to really, really recognise that it is a different generation. And then the second thing I think there was a strong message on was that young people feel the urgency passionately, climate change, but many other issues, and know full well that it'll still be a while before they can get their hands on these issues. So therefore, they have to work with women of of previous generations much more effectively than they have than generations have in the past of women so therefore it's it's absolutely not that young women are rejecting working with older leaders who are women it's that they want to work really effectively together so we spoke to young women in india in argentina in pakistan in nigeria and in sierra leone next week more women more young women voices. But it did seem right that this first episode of the new year should be from young women talking about how leadership is going to be different because it's going to be their generation doing it. And and we're going to start with Olivia in Argentina simply talking through her thinking about leadership. The first for me is a leader needs to have a lot of energy. It needs to be a leader that is motivated and that creates magic by leading, by being happy with their job and by being enthusiastic about what they are doing. Because this is something that is transmittable to the to people around. You need to be someone that is positive, optimistic, and that believes in what you are doing 
or that at least can hide it enough that people uh, have this feeling that it's magic that we are creating together. So this is, for me, very important. And another thing is to be conscious and generous to provide the opportunities for people to, to unlock a reflection of what they want to do. So I don't know if I'm clear, but basically allowing people to do things that are not in their job descriptions uh, and to have ideas, to, to lead them, not to block the ideas. Because sometimes I think maybe this is the comparison with the previous generation. We try to see a job through a job description that had things written uh, on it and both the employer uses it to uh, understand expectations, but also the employee uses it as a defense mechanism. And I think this is something that should be redefined because people now, I think my generation changes job to find a way to break down that job description, whereas we could do it in our current jobs. If that job description was more open or if we had uh, one third of the time where we could be exploring new ideas of how to improve our own job or we are seeing that we are doing something that our colleague is might be doing at the same time or differently and then maybe we can merge what we are doing and create something new and be innovative. Yours is a generation that's instinct is to share, isn't it? Well, it is, yes, because before I think we could find power was measured on how much information we had that other people did not have. <laughs> uh, and now it's more about how can we uh, foster or, or other people's knowledge together. So it's all about sharing. Everything is about sharing. How can my idea be improved if I do not share it with someone else or, or put it into practice. So I think the definition of being a leader is working, the necessarily aspect of being a leader is working with others. Everything is about sharing more and more. Uh, I think there's also, maybe this has already been said and it's not changing too much, is to, to provide a sense of purpose and security for the team as a whole not in the sense that the leader knows everything because the world is complex and more and more so, but in the way that we are okay with the unknown and that we can adapt and then we are providing this safe space where people can, can survive that complex world and the unknown and the changing things. Uh, and this is something that is more difficult to understand if you're from a previous generation, I think. Because basically you are saying you need to look like you're very sure of yourself and you know where we're going, but at the same time that you are okay with not knowing it and adapting and changing. You often describe this world we're leading into me as violent, Olivia. Is that really the right word? <laughs> yes. Well, it, it is because I think part of human nature is to and find comfort in what we know. And I think that... Uh, the things that we are experiencing now are changes that impact many different aspects of our life all of a sudden. And that's why they are violent, because they, uh, they really have a big impact on how we live. Where do you think people will begin to put their trust? 
well, collaborative platforms, for example, places where we know that you have a lot of people and that are sharing information and that then you don't have someone, a big mind or a controller. I'm optimistic that we are going to have find a way of our time and a, a way with our, yes, with the technology that we need to find that trust again. Thank you, Olivia. That's a great list, a really great list of the differences and and similarities too, it has to be said. Lots of differences though. Now let's move on away from Argentina and towards Sierra Leone, where Temi's going to talk through about how she too would want to be different and how her priorities in terms of leadership would be very different. It will be opening doors for more people to come in, you know, um, because that's one thing that I really did not kind of see with the older generation. I do not want to generalize because I've I've been a great receiver of, you know, mentorship and guidance, but that's not the reality with so many people who are probably not outspoken or don't know how to network or keep relationships, right? So for me, it will be that beyond the sense of urgency is to keep the door open, you know, um, share opportunities, bring other people on board because the, the, the work is not for one person. The work is not for two persons. So the more, the merrier, like I always say. So it's to, I always say, keep the door open. That's one of the things I think we we should do differently in our generation or what we should be doing differently. Leadership is always projected to the future. You know, um, we see it as something that we have to attain. Meanwhile, you know, leadership is simply making a change where you are, what you're doing in your space, in your office, in your organization, as little as it can be. The moment you take an initiative to to solve a problem, you are already a leader. So I think there is a reorientation in this generation where people just wake up and they're like, you know what, like, I don't like what is going on in my community and I'm going to change it. I don't need anybody to give me a leadership title, but I'm just going to get this done. And I think that there has been a shift from that you know, and it's really awesome to see, you know, the the number of young people who are leading change across the continent, across the world, and no one is really waiting for anybody to say, you know what, I'm going to make you a leader and then you can go make the change. Reverse is actually the case at the moment. So you just do not need permission. Exactly. <laughs> what else will be different? We see our relationship with men differently. I don't see myself as a lesser person because I'm a woman. I don't see myself as inferior to anyone because I'm a woman. When I'm out there, I'm on top of my game, regardless of who is in the room. And I think that dynamics has changed a lot. Talk about the climate change space. Although generally, like for events, you probably see men at the at the front of the pictures, 90 men and just two women on the leadership team of the whole conference. But back at home in the communities, I can list, before I mention three men, I probably listed seven great young women leading change in their community. And it's, and it's amazing, you know, because um, even growing up, there was just this perception that 
these are the jobs for the men. These are the things men are supposed to do. As women, you are just supposed to be laid back and you know, just listen to whatever anybody tells you because you end up getting married and that is it. You know, all your life depends in the kitchen. <laughs> but now things are changing. Um, you know, I shared, I shared a video recently of my journey from studying dentistry and dental surgery to becoming an environmentalist and how rough that has been for the, I mean, for eight years. And the video actually like really went viral. I was really surprised. And I saw a comment and the person said, you know, it's very hard for ambitious women like you to, <laughs> to find a man. And I'm like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not looking for validation, you know, for me to have done this for eight years, trust me and believe me, I'm going to do it. And I'll continually do it without needing anybody to validate who I am or what I'm doing. So the ties are changing and it's really beautiful to see that. Thank you, Temi, for sharing your joy in the change <laughs> and, and your clarity that you do not need the validation of men. Sarah picks up this theme, but actually it's not about men. It's about successful, established female leaders who can be obstacles too. I say this with sadness. She describes working for one leader, a remarkable woman who led a child trafficking organization that Sarah used to be part of. There wasn't a lot of collaboration in terms of how we want to see the organization move forward, what kind of programs do we want? Will the programs work for the employees who are actually implementing them on the ground? Uh, so we were given a project and we were told this is what we need to do. Instead of talking about the larger goal of the organization or the vision of the organization, which is very important from time to time, because these organizations are sometimes 20, 25 years old and they've been working the same way. So there's never been a change of kind of the way they work based on the new generation of uh, leaders. So for me, the biggest thing I see in the leaders I've worked with or the bosses I've worked with, that there's a fear of trying new things. I wouldn't say new programs or projects, but maybe a, a way of uh, doing things. And there's also this fear of failure in terms of if you want to try something new or if you want to do something new, there's a lot of opposition. And the other thing I've noticed specifically for women leaders is um, these leaders are strong, right? They've worked 20 years in the field. They've come up from the ground level. They've worked with trafficking survivors. They've worked with the communities. So they have seen a lot of hardship and they've conquered kind of their own battles as well. I think the space that they got, they don't extend that space to us sometimes. We also look up to these leaders for a reason. So to work under them is a great privilege, but I wish there was just more space for collaboration, more space for failures, more space for innovation. And I think that's something that may be missing for a lot of people uh, in my generation. When you're the leader, how will you do it differently? I struggle being a leader and kind of the team leader. Because I try to be collaborative and not be kind of a leader who 
is top down and give instructions but that also sometimes comes with challenges because when you're too collaborative when there's a lot of conversation happening sometimes the points uh, may be missed out so um i get that collaboration is important but i also think it's important to be a leader where there is some kind of not instruction but some kind of structure that you're given so if i see myself as a leader in the coming few years i would definitely still have a lot of space for discussion and collaboration but i also think it's important for the leader to be very clear about what she is envisioning and how others can kind of contribute to that vision in their own way thank you sarah so it's not always easy working for a successful and inspiring women leaders either nor describes this struggle of young women leaders this struggle to be the empathetic generation that they want to be empathy being something that they that they don't feel is very widespread in previous generations they want to be really empathetic but somehow also in their leadership to find the right balance with getting the job done i have along with another one of my friends so we do lead this sort of initiative that we started a year ago and it's a mental health initiative for young children and what have you learned about leadership in that experience it's very difficult it is very difficult because i was leading batches of interns in the summer in the summer and just just getting up and going to the office every day and having to you know give out jobs and responsibilities and roles to each of them and having to come up with ideas that they needed to work on it was it was extremely difficult what did you find most difficult I'm not uh, very good at um telling people what to do. That's always been very difficult for me because I'm always the one who's like being told what to do. And so for me to have to like you know be the be the be the boss, be the leader and tell someone that oh no you need to do this and especially when they haven't done their work correctly, that was extremely difficult for me to tell them because I again I didn't want to discourage anyone. I didn't want to let anyone down. but then at the same time the work wasn't being done correctly and i just i found it extremely hard to communicate to them because my again i had this need to like be kind to them but then also at the same time like i didn't know how else to say that oh the work hasn't been done as i spoke to nor who at 16 is the youngest leader i spoke to it it did keep on bringing to my head what prepares you for leadership when you are a very young woman what prepares you particularly when we all know that so many young women are going to be catapulted into leadership positions in the next few years as as they as they engage in climate change issues and projects it does make you think Karimot is next and Karimot's in Nigeria and she she actually interestingly came back to express in a slightly different way but very much the same 
frustrations that Sarah felt about women leaders, um, Sarah being in India and Karimot being in Nigeria and really demanding big change. They are of the opinion that, um, you know, just you have to pass through what I passed through. So, yeah, find your way yourself, which is not supposed to be. So I think that we need a, a huge cultural shift. So that when we have the big sister mentality of helping, of bringing somebody up, you know, that's that's a great one because big sisters are, um, are supposed to look after the younger siblings. They are, they, are, they are very much protective. Big sisters are like a mother aunt. They tend to protect their young, younger siblings from, 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 so from any kind of, of issues. So yeah, if every young woman, how they can have this big sister mentality that the next girl have there, who is ready to do the work is their sister. I mean, it's going to get better. <laughs> Just to say that you should have seen, you should see Karimot smile as um, she said this about sisterhood. But she then added a caveat. But when we come to a particular situation where big sisters are jealous of the ones behind them, then I don't, I do not think they, they do not have the right to be called big sisters. They are now more of like a stranger, actually. So normally a big sister is supposed to care for the ones behind her. I asked Karimot how her generation of sisters would lead differently. Mm, so I think that a shift that my generation wants to see uh, in leadership, it's, a, it's human-centric leadership, a leadership that, is, that centers humanity. What yeah, does that so mean? Every, so everything revolves around kindness and empathy. So when we tend to um, center humanity in our approach with people, that means we treat people as humans. We understand that humans have rights. You know, you see people um, in, in, in high positions and the, 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 the people that drives them, that clean their houses, their works, they are like slaves to them. They do not respect them. They do not treat them like human. And I think that is very wrong. These people are also providing a service to you. Even though they might be low income earners, but they are human first. They are human beings first. We, those are the kind of thing that we hold in high esteem. A kind of leadership um, that do not talk on people. A leadership, no matter the, the, the class that you come from, your economy class or your social background, you treat people as human first. You do not care if they have one naira in their account or they have one million naira in their account. We are all humans and we should be treated with respect. And you believe that your generation wants to see this change? Yes, I actually believe that. My generation wants to see that, 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 that change. We want to see more people that are kind to each other. It's going to be a big transition. And then the thing about um, you know, treating people with dignity is that um, the generation coming behind us, I mean, the children, Children tend to learn by your actions and not your words. You know, take, for example, in a particular household um, where um, the, 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 the father or the mother um, shout or speak you to the domestic servants that works with them, 
the children are learning by their action. They automatically think it is right for them to speak at people, to shout at people that are not in their economy class, that are not in their social status. So yes, I think that um, if you treat people with dignity, we are building a more responsible society. We have a society that see people as people and not just as um, someone that you, or a furniture that you can talk at. Thank you, Karimot. This, this theme led me to Mina in India. I wanted to talk to her about the word privilege, a word that is strong and often used in her generation. It's a layered word, a complex word, a difficult word, and one that I was pretty confident Mina will have thought through quite carefully. So I think the word privilege is something that's like one of those, it's a part of our vocabulary now. I think if you really care about anything, then it's a part of your vocabulary. The way I use it is sort of challenging the status quo. So in India specifically, we can talk about that in terms of the first thing that comes to mind is caste and religion, the language that you speak which region you're from, and then, of course, your gender and your, your sexual orientation. And these, like, various boxes, I think, if I look at it objectively for myself or my mother, then I will, of course, understand that as a woman in India, I lack a lot of privilege. But when I immediately look at that in terms of my caste and class position and the religion that I am given in census accounts, which is Hindu, and I'm upper caste, and my, I can, even though my mother tongue is Telugu, I still speak English as my first language. It's the language I think in. I've grown up in urban settings. I have a university education. I'm not a first generation college graduate or high school graduate. So in terms of all of these boxes, then I am someone with a lot of privilege in this country. And I'm also someone with privilege simply because I have security within the home, I think. As soon as I step out, the thing that hits me in the face first, I'm a woman. And when the sun goes down, it's that I'm a woman. And so I think I struggle with this a lot. Is the word privilege for your generation, especially if you feel that you have got some privilege, is it a source of guilt or embarrassment? I think it is. Um, And I think when that guilt creeps in, it's also like you want to learn how to be a good ally to whatever the cause is. But I think when... You're someone in the cause, but you're someone who occupies a space that has more privilege, then that sort of becomes difficult to negotiate because it's not like I'm a white woman and I'm trying to be an ally to the black cause, but I'm a woman and I'm trying to, especially I think my generation is more interested in intersectionality. 
as a whole we're not necessarily like a group that's like okay there is this one cause and let's just have like five issues and like bang 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 these are our five issues and we're going to push these and we'll think about the rest later i think like there are many many groups of people who have many individual issues that are at the personal level that people want to sort of solve and so some i think older feminists often think that we are very scattered because we don't have like one cause to go behind but then i also think that in some sense there is nuance there at that level but when we're thinking about the label itself there isn't because i don't know how to navigate my identity i guess as a woman with this idea of privilege because there are many moments where i know that i have gotten out of a sticky situation because i'm hindu or because um i come from a good family or there are other moments when i'm just reminded that you know at the end of the day i'm a woman and something bad is going to happen to me if i'm not careful and so that internal i think that guilt for me especially is there when it comes to my caste because i don't identify with a lot of the like we pass off caste upper caste people often pass off a lot of casteist things as things that are part of our culture and those are things that do not resonate with me at all and they make me very uncomfortable and the things that i'm completely against but because even if i'm against it it's still a social capital that i hold in some sense like no like no matter what happens like that sort of thing will allow me entrance into spaces even if i am someone who's rejecting it completely and it's in my name it's in the neighborhood that i live you know like i think i think when it comes to caste that's something that makes me deeply uncomfortable and i i don't think that just sitting with the guilt is enough and i don't think just and i don't think just being guilty about your privilege is necessarily helpful i think it's the first step it's like recognizing that you have privilege that guilt comes with that recognition i think like if you're an empathetic person and then but like i feel like that i feel like in many instances we're stuck at that like self flagellation almost and it's not helpful like we sort of need to think of what are the ways in which okay i have this privilege i have this access is there no one else here who is going to speak up about this so maybe i'm going to be that person who stands at the door and opens it but the minute i notice that there is someone else who doesn't have that social capital i don't walk in first i let that person walk in first and i think like that sort of like the way i am trying to frame it for myself that you also need to help people not just by being like oh i am this benevolent person so i'm going to help you but you can't also think that oh i have all this privilege so i can't do anything i think that's also you sort of like resigning yourself from the discomfort of the issue itself like the the idea of privilege comes with great amount of discomfort and that guilt is a part of it but i think especially on social media at least i feel like we're stopping largely at that aspect of guilt rather than really understanding that there is guilt why is there that guilt and how do we de- deconstruct it and dismantle it and what is it's not to say that like we can't also think of move like i can't think of the feminist movement in india without me because i carry that much privilege but i need to think about 
like if like as a person participating in it how am i more a more mindful participant which i think a lot of people are trying to do and i don't think i'm the first person trying to do that thank you mina i i was sure that you would have begun the untangling around that word privilege uh thank you for for for, for sharing your work in progress thinking which um which i suspect we all feel conflicted confused struggling with but i then wanted to ask mina about the very word leadership itself you know we set out to say how do we make sure that the approach to leadership resonates with women and especially young women but i suppose the question is is the word leadership itself a problem or even the problem okay so i think the term leadership is intimidating because we're not allowed to think about it in some sense i've always taken leadership positions but it's never been labeled as a leadership position so i don't think that women aren't in leadership positions i think they take on the role of the leader and often the work of a leader entails grunt work entails a lot of administrative work that's not glamorous entails dealing with messy situations and you know untangling the mess and it, there is a lot of emotional and mental labor that goes into it but it's the it's the shiny part of leadership that is not identified with you know in some sense like basically you do all of the messy work that is a part of the uh, being a leader but very rarely are you given the opportunity to wear the shiny shoes and so i think that women are playing the role of the leader without knowing that they're doing it or without people identifying that this is a leadership job that they're doing but the term leadership doesn't seem appealing because the stakes are so high like you don't the stakes are anyway high when you're a leader because you have to take responsibility if things you know burn to the ground but because you're the exception in that situation as a leader then all your time is really like kind of goes into managing things and making sure that they don't burn to the ground when your job is like a lot more than that like you're not a maintenance person you're someone who's charting uncharted like you're like going through uncharted territory with a group of people but women can't afford to fail and i think that's the thing that like at least personally holds me back and i know holds a lot of my friends back is that we don't have that much leg room to fail and when we think of women leaders you have either always like these trailblazers exceptional women there's no space for being normal and like just being a person who's also a leader in some sense and i i think like that's the most discouraging thing to young women listening to mina's words and the use of the word normal it started me to think whether normalizing leadership for women might be our brief and i was going down this route till i spoke to nor who put me um firmly back on track uh i asked her straight out should we be normalizing leadership well 
not really because I think I think um, one I think being uh, being a leader or leadership is something you need to be proud of and um, because I think it's it is it is an honor it is an achievement you know you've accomplished something and you become a leader of something and I think that is a big thing and so to kind of not make it to kind of tone it down and make it seem like it's not that big of a deal I think it would take away from what you feel that you've achieved and sort of honor and the pride that you would have carrying that title pride in leadership thank you no I think actually let's just go back to Temi for the last 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 word so um I think it's a good progress, although there's so much work to do with the previous generation. But I think this new generation are challenging, we're challenging the status quo and, you know, um, it's beautiful to see. Thank you to the young women who have helped put this episode together. They have in common that they're all leading <laughs> in remarkable ways. And I'm very, very grateful for their time to Olivia and Temi and Noor and Karimot and Mina. And and there will be more young women next week. I am very, very, very much looking forward to it. In the meantime, lots of love, Julia. To become part of our movement and share your thinking with us, subscribe to the podcast and join the Women Emerging Group on our website at womenemerging.org. We love all of the messages you send us Keep them coming.